Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome back to Tag Team, the Pokemon Trading Card Game's premier podcasting duo, coming at you back after the Peoria Regional Championship. JW, how's it going? Hey, pretty good. I'm happy to be joined by top 16 finisher, <laughs> Riley Holbert. I know. I wish it was a little bit further, but... Well, yeah, you like, were giving me crap about my world's finish, so well, I do feel like a little vindicated. A little vindicated. Like I can well, not vindicated. I, that's the wrong word. I feel like now I have this. I can kind of hold over you. To be fair, I was put more in a position to actually <laughs> top this event, and I that's so got, true. Well, you got bad luck. Man. I it was it was a little bad luck, and also just like circumstantially screwed over. Yeah. Um, and we could talk about that in a second, but. I'm still happy, obviously, with top 16. I, I feel like, especially at the North American Regional Championships, I've been on a very consistent tear. <laughs> so Yeah, walk uh, us through the most recent finishes. So, obviously, top 16 here. Yeah. Top 16 in Indy last season. Yeah, my last three regionals was top, top 16 eight. Indy, top 8 Milwaukee, top 16 at, uh, at Peoria. So, yeah. just consistent top 16s <laughs> yeah only the only clunkers there would be worlds and then naic i'm right i'm just writing off worlds wholesale because my <laughs> brain was melting from covid i was laughing about it with aj because i was telling him like yeah like in one of my games like i forgot to draw for turn <laughs> <laughs> like can you imagine your brain being so fried that you forget to draw for turn like that's the thing that's like the action you're you know, right. If there's You're one right. action I'm going to take, it's going to be drawing my <laughs> card. <laughs> but I was like starting my turn, and my opponent's like, yo, you could draw a card, man. Like, yo. <laughs> yo, that's insane. <laughs> Just because my brain is complete mush. Oh, gosh. Um, NAIC was a little bit of a flub, though. Um, that was probably the worst deck that we played in the. In the uh, last run of it to be honest. yeah I, I think that's probably fair but it like it wasn't it felt it fine wasn't in crazy the bad though it felt right? fine like, in the moment yeah yeah, yeah. so I anyway that was there. a bit of a miss there but uh yeah some good runs uh from the two of us and we're excited to talk about everything from peoria before we do that though gw what's uh what's going on lately buddy how you doing oh, man i'm you know i'm doing okay we got work projects and i'm just trying to like stay motivated yeah it's a little bit uh well i don't know it's just kind of a low period right now and i you know i'm just trying to like keep internally motivated and doing stuff and gotta uh, stay on that hustler grind yeah not trying to like keep busy you know because there's (laughs) stuff to do but just like trying to make the most of time and sometimes i personally get a little bit um distracted so i just gotta gotta keep chugging how about you uh, it's going well. It's going well. We're at a very important phase in my my latest project at work, so kind of working through that. I have some development that needs to be finished as well in the next few days, uh, so it can be comped prior to the version comp date. Um, and you know, otherwise things are going pretty well. I learned the other day that I'm going to have a work trip to San Diego the week yeah. after the San Diego oh, regional championship. Let's go. So my plan is I'll just like fly down there on like the Friday or whatever, you know, the Thursday, maybe chill out for the whole weekend and then just extend it like directly to my work trip wow. um, and have like work basically pay in part for the flights because they already would have to fly me there. So um, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. It, it's going to be awesome. So 
looking forward to that. Um, so definitely confirmed going to San Diego for me now. Um, and you know, overall things are, are going well, I would say, you know, cruising. Absolutely. And man, I just, I want to play more poke, man. I, I'm not going to be able to make it to Salt Lake city. I think you're going, I am going. Yes. So my next tournament is Toronto? potentially Toronto. Toronto which will be in a new format, which I don't really like this format all that much, but I would like to have another tournament in this format. Yeah, I can't tell exactly how I feel about this format. And I was musing with uh um I was musing with just a couple of folks um as we were talking about you know, the format and like also the online space and how it's affected real life play. Uh in the sense that, you know, if you imagined us in uh in like back in 2018, 2017, right? This for this tournament at Peoria would be the one where like people play Lost Box for the first time, and the meta is like 70% Lost Box, right? And then the next tournament in Salt Lake City would be people like just hard countering Lost Box, just Empoleons everywhere. People just right. now learning Empoleon is the card, and then the next tournament would would be the evolution of that, and so on and so forth. And right. but because the online tournaments have so rapidly accelerated the evolution of meta games it's uh it's caused people to get like fatigued of formats much more quickly i feel like mm -hmm. um because they feel like they've already gotten their their like money's worth almost out of it you know they've played their played played the heck out of it they've seen the beginning and end of the <laughs> of the evolution of the meta and they're ready to go to the next thing yeah it's pretty crazy for sure so i i'm excited though i'm excited for salt lake and for what's to come ahead but why don't we talk about Peoria, a lot of cool stuff coming out of Peoria. So in the front half, we'll talk about some of our personal experiences in Peoria. We played Mew VMAX, talked about the deck, why we chose it, how it panned out for us. And then in the second half, we'll take a look at our predictions from the week prior and compare them against ultimately how Peoria panned out as a sort of digest of that metagame. And then next week, we'll talk you know, about our thoughts for, thoughts for Salt Lake. Yeah, absolutely. So we ended up choosing a Mew double turbo only version with uh, a secret tech of Drapion for the mirror match. That was kind of interesting. I didn't really get uh, too much use out of that, but I'll talk about my matchups here in just a moment. We also played shoes, trekking shoes over the Rotom phones. I think Rotom phones are generally more popular but our thinking was we wanted to make a deck, a Mew deck, that was as good on turn one as possible. And generally speaking, and this is not all the time because obviously there are uses for Rotom Phone and Rotom Phone can be better in certain situations, but um, often I would be have hands that I'd be much happier to have a Trekking Shoes in them on that first turn of the game than to have Rotom Phone because my hand was otherwise generally clogged and I couldn't get those basics out. Um, and I felt like, you know, Mew, or we felt like as a group, Mew is most powerful when you can get a full bench on that first turn. And we yeah. felt like the shoes were a little bit better at achieving that goal than the Rotom Phones. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, when I posted the list on Twitter, there definitely were people up in the replies you know, why didn't you play the phones? Why do you play these shoes? Um, and I th I think there's, like, arguments both ways. You know, the Rotom phone is obviously better for finding, you know, very particular cards, particularly in the late game. Um, but the shoes, getting that extra dig, especially in those early turns. On turn one, for example, if you don't have 
the ability to draw with the Genesect because your hand is too full, being able to shoo and hit a VIP pass or a Pokemon is unbelievably strong. Uh, and it bailed me out many, many times throughout yep. the tournament. I'm sure JW had the same experience where, you know, my hand is just like a little too clogged. I, I shoo and I either find the battle VIP pass or another Genesect or a Mew. And that's what keeps me in the game. Uh, whereas I played a phone and like stacked that on top. I would have basically get the weight another turn. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I completely agree that first turn with Mew because the game doesn't last ideally more than like four turns. Yeah. Right. With Mew. And that's, you know, that's if they're only playing two prizes, if playing three prizes. Hey, maybe it could end even quicker. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's not it's supposed to, you know, go that long with the deck. So I feel like we were vindicated in playing the shoes. And I, I would echo what you just said there about the turn ones where if I had Rotom Phone and all these times, you know, all these times that I had the shoes, yeah, I would have been dead in the water right there and um, really felt good about the phones, felt good about the list overall. I also had a lot of moments, and let me know if you've had the same experience, JW, where, like, I drew a, a shoe off of, like, my last Genesect, right? And then I used the shoe to dig for the final card that I needed because it was the yeah. one extra piece of dig. Whereas a phone is not dig, it just helps you search a card. Right. Um, so a, road of, or a shoe is also much better to see after you've used all your Genesects, whereas a phone is best in the middle of your Genesects. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, absolutely. I, I felt like um, I had that same experience, you know, and, and with the Genesects, I, I often didn't find that I was benching for Genesect, you know, I think the Oracorio is pretty good in certain matchups and sometimes yeah. even a third Mew is really good in certain, certain matchups. So, um, you know, I felt like my draw sometimes in certain matchups in certain games was a little bit limited there too. So trying to get as much extra draw out of the shoes was really important. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I felt pretty good about the list. Some other, you know, highlights from it. Uh, we played the Hyper Potion and the Switch Cart, which have started to become more and more common as Lost Box became more of a thing. Uh, really just trying to handle the onslaught of damage counters from the Sableye. Um, you've seen lists from other new players that played, you know, like Volo, for example, to try and get rid of a damage Genesec. Uh, we thought the, the combination of heal cards was both sufficient and better. Um, and we also opted not to play an avery just sticking to the two marnie and the roxanne mm -hmm. uh, we didn't really feel like avery was adding a ton of value especially when you had the drapeon for the mirror uh, where we felt like avery was the, the strongest in the mirror of all matchups and, and drapeon obviously was a huge leg up in the mirror as well yeah and also pretty decent the avery for like the regigigas matchup but yeah i don't think we were particularly high on regigigas and uh, that almost came back to bite me i'll talk about that in a second as well <laughs> so overall i mean i feel like the list it was very streamlined it made a lot of sense it was really really consistent and solid which is exactly what you're really looking for for a mu deck is you're looking to very clearly execute a simple strategy every game mm -hmm. and i felt like i could do that no problem with our yeah. list yeah completely agree um that's just me in general but i i don't know there was something about our list right because if we look at who had our list and where they placed I mean, far and away, I think the results speak for themselves. So we had, obviously, you were top 16, one win or two ties away. One tie, from, actually. Oh, well, yeah, technically. That's true, that's true. <laughs> uh, away from top eight. And then Adler got top 32. 
And I and Andrew Mahone got top 64. So there were and seven of us. you guys both bubbled out of top 32, right? Bubbled out of top 32. Yeah, I was 34th. He was 36th. Um, don't bring that up. But <laughs> we had seven players on the deck. Four of us converted into day two. And then all of us did no worse than top 64. No worse than the top 3%, right, yeah. of, of all players, which... That's just a real big success for us as a group. I feel like we've needed that as well. There's there's been a little bit of uh, 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 you know some some down times here for for us collectively. Obviously, some individual highlights, but some general. Yeah, don't bring me times. down with you. All. <laughs> I know that's what I'm saying. Man. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> no, I, I feel like this was a great tournament for the group. It I think it, it showed the staying power of uh, just cons- being consistent and, and choosing the decks that you believe in. Um, based on your results. And so I'm, I'm really excited for what's ahead for the rest of this season. Totally. So JW, why don't you talk through your experience with the Mew deck, and then we could talk a little bit about mine. Um, how did the tournament go? Any matchup highlights that you want to call out? Uh, things that maybe didn't go so well? It'll walk us through things. Yeah, it was really funny. We said going into the tournament that collectively like we weren't really going to respect giratina obviously it was going to be a deck we figured we'd play a couple of them um but we were just saying okay of all the top decks that we were predicting we didn't think that giratina would have the meta share compared to the other decks and funny enough i played not one not two not three not four (laughs) Not five, but six Giratina in (laughs) day one. Yeah. So granted, some of them did not play Drapion. We said that that was kind of one of the hardest things for the Mew deck to get around was um, a Drapion combined with another way to one-shot a Mew. Yeah. So this extends even to a deck like Kyurem. This extends to, you know, the Mirror, I suppose, as well, right? Uh, Where... You know, just if you're able to go through two Mew that don't have any damage counters on them, that is just a nightmare matchup for you. So I did manage to beat one of the Giratina, straight Giratina Lost Zone decks that had a Drapion, and that was a 2-0 victory for me, and I felt very in control. We have ways to get around it. The Lost City is super good because I don't think anyone would really want to play two Drapion. So if you can Lost Zone that, then you don't have to worry about it for the rest of the game. And then uh, we also play, obviously, the Path. And so if you can path Roxanne, that's quite strong as well. But the matchup that I faced the most in day one was Giratina Arceus, which I played three times, which was, I mean, <laughs> it was wild. just kind of, yeah. it was just kind of crazy. And they were fairly close games, but they're not going to one shot your muse. Uh, the biggest thing in that matchup is getting around path. And I felt like that was my biggest enemy more so than the Drapion was path and getting out from under path so that's how i lost my first game against giratina arceus in round number two we had loss you know i think i went second in game one i went first in game two and was able to just out aggress and then game three he stuck me with a path and there was just not much i could do about it so uh, i was really scared of path throughout the entire day basically any deck that didn't have path even giratina with drapion i was like okay you know i have a really good shot at winning this game and then all the decks that did have path, even if it was like a one of, like a Palkia, I was like, okay, it's going to be a slog. So that was day one. 
ID'd my last round to go 6-2-1. And then played a ton of Reggie Gigas in day two. I played, <laughs> you had the weirdest tournament. <laughs> it was so bizarre. Yeah, I played three Gigas in day two. And I dropped one game overall. I was a little bit worried. Like One game or th- one set? No, one game. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I... I did very well against the Gigas, but what ended up happening basically in every matchup was I would win a really grindy game one where we would both get like pretty set up. Um, there was one game where they got a turn one attack and it was just like super grindy, super back and forth, but I'd pull it out in the end. And then the second game, it felt like what would always happen was they would just dead draw. <laughs> and so I kind of saw Gigas's true colors there over the day Dang. two matchups. Um, I lost in a mirror match, a straight 60 mirror match to Adler. Lost to a Palkia deck where I made a questionable play, but I don't, I don't necessarily think it was wrong. I could have, I could have hyper potioned a damaged Mew to uh, remove enough damage that he wouldn't be able to take a snipe KO with a Greninja. But if I didn't draw into another double turbo, then I wouldn't have an attack that turn. So I was like, okay, well, it's more important for me to attack than it is for me to heal, right? Because if I heal, I definitely lose. And if I don't, you know, if I don't attack, I definitely lose. And if I heal, that's maybe a better play in hindsight. But it, you know, again, it leads me open to to missing the attack. So interesting loss there as well. Um, yeah. So it was, overall, it was a great tournament. I beat one Kiram Palkia to finish out day two. And yeah, ended the tournament with a 10, four and one record, which is a pretty solid record. Oh, it's super good. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't like excited about it necessarily in this, in the sense that I bubbled out of top 32, which just, you know, you, you play all that, all that poke, you know, your team packs. Yeah. I, I, I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. I get my, get my half a box, which, I mean, that's a whole, we've talked about that in the past as well, where I, I would have been happy with some more, you know, some more packs. I don't know. You know, I feel like that's a that's a glaring issue in the prize support for Pokemon uh, that they could easily fix. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, the only thing that matters is is the Puntos. And so we were able to walk away with, with a solid amount. 50. 50. <laughs> cool. Yeah, man. So, all right. So talk to me a little bit about your day. Yeah, days. my day, my days looked very different than yours. Not gonna lie, um, I started off the tournament against a Dialga deck with a Drapion, and I'm like, man, I'm just, I'm just gonna have a horrible tournament. It was, it was immediately my thought. I ended up two owing that deck, um, and overall, I think I went like fifty fifty versus Drapion decks. Um, and I would agree with you that the Drapion only really felt threatening when it felt like my opponent could also one shot another Mew like immediately before or after the Drapion. Um, so start off the day with that, then hit a Mew mirror, which felt great <laughs> with my own Drapion. Um, you know, going second with the DTE Mew build and getting a turn one knockout feels pretty good. I gotta say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there I played a lot, a lot of Palkia across my two days so I played four Palkia V-Star and Teleon in day one, and I beat all of them. And in day two, I played another two Palkia V-Star and Teleon, and I went to one and one. 
Um, Andrew Hedrick, his one loss was me <laughs> before nice. top eight. So um, went five and one against six Palkios, which I think is pretty solid, uh, yeah. all things considered. Um, and the rest of my day, I played a mixture of Zorark V-Star, which I was not expecting. I played two of them over the course of the tournament, one with a Drapion and a Halucha, which I lost to. Um, and then another one that didn't play Drapion, which I beat as Valdo in day two. Um, he ended up making the top eight as well. And then I played a couple Kyurems. I played one in day one and one in day two. And the only Giratina I played was was John Ang in day two. Um, I did end up losing to him. He just was really out of the gates quickly with his Drapion and Giratina set up. It was, and he could get those back-to-back knockouts like no problem uh, yeah. in both the games that I lost. In addition to the fact that I did prize three genesect in the second game that i lost yeah that's fine (laughs) um so overall i I think it went pretty well i finished day one at eight and one uh was the fourth seed going into day two and things looked pretty good at the start of day two i was uh, 11 and two going into round 14 out of 15 Uh, and i was pretty confident that 35 points would be safe uh, so in theory, you could ID twice at that point at 11 and 2. But be- it was a really weird situation because the top three players by a wide margin at that point in the tournament, like over like three match points plus at that point in the tournament, was me, John Ang, and Andrew Hedrick. But we had all played each other already. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> the top tables were very stagnant for the first like five rounds of day two. Yep. So as a consequence, none of us could play each other in ID. Uh, so all of us had to keep playing to try and get points. Um, so I'm 11 and two, and then I hit Zach Kreckler, who's playing his Kurem Palkia deck with the Drapion, and that matchup felt horrible. It yes. felt really, really bad. Um, he just quickly two O's me. I'm like feeling not great. 34 and I'm looking at the standings. 35 is like a clean cut, so I have to play my last round at 33 points um, against Angel. Uh, he gets a very clean setup both games. I'm really drawn janky in both of them. It was like probably my worst draws the whole tournament besides the three prize Genesect were in those last two games, uh, which made it a real heartbreaker. Um, didn't get a VIP pass or even a Mew in play on my first turn in either of the two games. I still came really close to winning both of them, which I think votes well for like how decent the Palkia matchup is, but just could not get there. Um, So I ended up taking a loss. The unfortunate thing in hindsight is one of the 32 point tables unintentionally tied, which meant that one 34 point made it. Um, and because five of my six day two opponents made top eight, I had a 72% resistance <laughs> out of the 75% possible resistance. And so I would have been the 34. So it, I'm like kicking myself. Obviously, I shouldn't have done this in the moment. But if I had just like offered Angel the even after game one, if I offered right. Angel the ID, he probably would have taken it because 35 was guaranteed. So and why risk no, it? And and you maybe would have been, you know, a decent matchup to have in cover. Yeah, so like why even risk it from his right. perspective? Right. Uh he maybe he would have said no, but I think he probably would have taken it. And then if I was at 34, I would have easily made cut because my <laughs> resistance just cleared everybody. <laughs> well, and that's the that's the really disappointing thing about a thousand person tournament is that 
you can get all this way and be put in these situations that are just really awkward. You know, there was only three of us at the top (laughs) tables for a while there. It was insane (laughs) because all of us lost in the round robin to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Like John lost to Andrew. I beat Andrew and I lost to John. Just literally a circle of losses. We all won all of our other games. It was just complete catastrophe for me. Yeah, Worst sad. case scenario type of thing, but it was really it was good to be up there. It felt really fun. Uh, the deck felt really good throughout the tournament. Besides those like last two rounds, yeah. Um, and you know I am still happy with you know my consistent performances over the last you know six months of poke. Um, but it is disappointing not to make top eight. I really thought that I was in there once I got to eleven wins, right. and then just all that stuff shaked out the wrong way. Yeah. Um, so yeah it is what it is yeah i was gonna say it's one of those things that you know you obviously can't control you tried to do the other unfortunate thing was um when john played zach Kreckler in round 13 if zach won i was guaranteed to play him and we could have both tied Mm. (laughs) but because they tied i had to play him out and lost oh my gosh it was just it was a whole thing man like everything worked out the worst possible way well, it worked out the best possible way for the other top eighters. Yeah, it was great for them for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, coming coming back full circle, like the the deck was very solid. Absolutely. I think that, yeah. I think that when I went for like when I won the coin flip, I was like, oh baby, you know, there's they felt like I couldn't lose it when I won the coin did. flip. Yeah, the deck is insane for sure, a flip, especially yeah. against V decks, obviously. Yes. Uh, if you win the flip versus a deck that plays V Pokemon, you're going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're popping off for sure. And so I felt just like really good in any matchup that I won the coin flip. Now, there are some matchups that are pretty even, um, you know, or, or can be significantly worse or better, depending on, you know, if Drapion's included. But really, on the whole, I wasn't particularly worried about Drapion. For me, I was much more worried about path. And so I think path moving forward is going to be the killer of Mew, or or at least the the card that keeps it in check as it has in the past. But I think a lot of people, and another reason why we chose Mew is a lot of people had moved off of path-based decks. You know, you yeah. look at Arceus decks as being kind of the primary deck to play path. But now we have a new challenger that's entered the arena with this one prize, single prize lost box that is playing heavy path. And I think as that deck, that archetype picks up popularity, which I would expect it to, I just think Mew is kind of going to be again, caught in that, that crosshair of, uh, you know, going to have to innovate a little bit more. Maybe it means a fourth stadium. Maybe it means, you know, a lost vacuum or something else, but I think Mew is going to, be less of a good pick than it was for Peoria. Yeah, I mean the meta felt really clear for Mew to just go into Peoria yeah. with. Yeah. Um and I think Mew is still a valid choice, but I what I will agree, uh, when I saw that Tord's list played the four path to the peak uh in the Lost Box deck which we had teched a lot for but not really in the stadium front, more in like trying to heal uh with item cards that was a little disheartening because it felt like, you know, something that we were really prepared for. Now there's a whole wrench in that situation. 
Um, and even the Regi decks are, are going heavy path, which makes sense. Like, it's a natural extension of Empoleon's rise to prominence. Um, and just as a way to deal with Mew, like, screw screw Mew, right? Everyone hates Mew. Yep. Um, but it is definitely unfortunate for Mew players heading into Salt Lake City. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Would expect Path to be a card on the rise. So just it's hard. it would be hard for me to say that, uh, you know, you could expect the same results that we had. Uh, collectively as a group here in, ironically uh, i don't expect i expect drapion stocks to kind of fall um in the grand mm. scheme of things but yeah yeah certainly certainly but i i don't again i don't think that the drapion is really like you can get around drapion no but, but what i'm saying is i do expect like some of those decks that are maybe like waffling on whether they play drapion maybe will now opt not to because muse didn't make a top eight appearance for example sure um but on the flip side, like now you have single prize decks that are playing path, which is a really challenging situation for me to deal with. Cause the more opportunity, you know, especially like Arceus decks that play path, at least you only have to take three knockouts. Right. <laughs> Whereas if you're playing a single prize deck with four path, they got four chances <laughs> to get that well, path to stick. Yeah. And I mean, the biggest thing too, is like, you got to find ways to switch, you know, yeah. if, if you don't get that second Mew V max up, you're going to have to be switching between attackers and that in and of itself can be a challenge even if no path is in play so that i think uh yeah yeah path of the peak is the biggest thing for me looking ahead i, I would agree with you i think drapion was a little bit too respected um i think too many people play drapion in their lists i you know i don't know the numbers on how many drapions there were per player but it just felt like um drapion was in a few decks that maybe it didn't need to be in um <laughs> And yeah, I would I would expect that card to to fall out of favor, but it's just again the paths are really really annoying. Some of the best decks to utilize it: Arceus, Giratina, V Star. We saw a lot of that. Uh, Reg Gigas, like you said, and then obviously the Lost Box single prize deck. Awesome. So we'll talk more about kind of our initial predictions versus where the meta is falling in just a moment here. But JW, I think it's time to take a quick stop over at the card of the day. Absolutely. So for this week, I went with a trainer card instead of a usual Pokemon. And I thought this one could be fun uh, because we played a very item-heavy deck. Uh, and one of our key items in our strategy was the Cram-O-Matic, where you could discard your one item card from your hand, flip a coin, and potentially choose a card out of your deck. So I chose a very similar in some ways item from a legacy era um pokey drawer plus <laughs> pokey drawer plus and so the reason Aww. i chose pokey drawer plus is because you can play two items to search cards from your deck totally <laughs> uh kind of similar to chromatic uh but you had to play two pokey drawers in particular so pokey drawer what you would do is if you played one you could just draw a card um and if you played two you could search your deck for any two cards and put them into your hand. Uh, so really just powerful card. It was played in, you know, very combo-heavy decks at the time. But even then, it was just, like, kind of a generally solid card to have in your deck, uh, especially, though, if you're looking to establish really long, complicated combos, think things like uh, Regigigas or AMU type of decks. Yeah. Yeah, I think about it most in the Regigigas deck, right, where they're yeah. trying to chain the... Uh chain the mesprits turn after turn so regigigas 
in the olden days, what this would have been ten years ago now, a twelve, year, thirteen years ago maybe. I don't know what was the what was the year. Thirteen years like, ago, yeah, two thousand nine. Yeah, so uh, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but just to give a quick synopsis of what this deck was, Regigigas Level X had an ability sacrifice that allowed you to discard a benched Pokemon and give up a prize to your opponent. Yeah, but knock out it would, a bench Pokemon. Yeah, knock out a bench Pokemon. But it would uh, heal the Regigigas, and you could attach energy, I think, from the discard pile to it or something. There was some other additional effect. Yeah. Um, so what you would do is you would play Mesprit, which would allow you to item lock, or uh, excuse me, ability lock, or po- po- poke a power lock your opponent. Um, You're killing this, dude. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's kind of <laughs> complicated. I'm kidding. And it's I'm also- kidding. <laughs> You're doing this on the top of your head. You're fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Knowledge from 13 years ago. Um, and then so you could use Mesprit and poke a power lock your opponents so that they couldn't use their Genesect Vs or their Orangus. <laughs> <Yeah, I think, laughs> <laughs> trying to think of a card with an ability. <laughs> yeah. A poke a power. Let's see. What would have been what would have been like the best oh, Claydol, probably. Yeah. In that Cl- time zone. Or Uxie. Yeah, Uxie for sure. So anyway, you do that. And then you're just mesprating and mesprating and mesprating, and they can't do anything. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the poker drawer pluses were really nice for that deck because you're trying to, you know, keep something going that you need to keep refreshing from the deck every turn. Yeah, it's a really cool card. I always enjoy the item cards that have like effects on one or two being played. Mm. That was one thing that disappointed me about the fusion strike items is that they only did anything if you played both at once. I much preferred like the custom catchers and the puzzle of times and the pokey drawers that had effects on both scenarios. Uh, But maybe that was just like too powerful for the effects of these fusion strike cards. Yeah. I wish we had one where it was just like play one, draw a prize, play two, (laughs) win the game. Yeah. That'd be insane. (laughs) Yeah. That would (laughs) leave a reply on our Twitter. (laughs) If you think that would be fair and balanced. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i would play that card for sure yeah i would play that i don't know about you all but i play that card in my deck for sure <laughs> seems like a good one yeah starbirth <laughs> starbirth for for the win <laughs> seems fair i i think that would be good for the game actually <laughs> awesome so why don't we take a moment then and thank our sponsor for this episode here and of course, that means we're going to give a huge shout out to Manscaped for sponsoring the cast. If you've been listening for a while now, you know that JW and I both love Manscaped. And let me tell you, JW can confirm this as well. My Manscaped boxers were on during the 8 and 1 day 1 run and mm-hmm. I was unstoppable. So if you want to feel comfortable and clean and play your best, you know you got to be strapped up with your Manscaped, okay? Yeah, JW, why don't you I, tell him? I mean, I saw him in his underwear, you know? Uh, we shared a bed the night before even. And so hey, he, he he's spitting. You know, he doesn't <laughs> lie out here. So Manscaped got you covered. Plenty of great products. The underwear we both really enjoy. I also wore mine day one, 621. Not as impressive, but... Still day uh, two. Still day two and, you know, solid day two run overall. So... Yeah, I, you know, Manscaped, not going to say that Manscaped was the only thing that helped us get there, but it certainly was a piece of the puzzle. So if you want to get your own products, go on over to manscaped.com, put some stuff in your cart, and at checkout, use the promo code TAGTEAM for 20% off plus free shipping. Hate paying for shipping, 
Use our code tag team, 20% off plus free shipping at checkout. If you're looking to be a battle VIP, then make sure to get Manscaped heading into your next tournament. And thank you so much to Manscaped for sponsoring the cast. Alrighty, JW. Let's talk then about how Peoria compared to our meta predictions here yes. and how we think you know things are going to shake out in the coming weeks. Um, so as a reminder, for those of you who maybe missed out or have forgotten from last episode, our top five decks in order for Peoria were going to be Giratina, V-Star Comfy, Curum VMAX with Palkia, Mew VMAX, Lost Zone Box, and then at the top would be Palkia Inteleon. And honestly, like I think those decks in that order kind of still tracked decently well, but I don't think we predicted like exactly how these decks would look either. Uh, so let's start from the back here with Giratina. We weren't super hot on Giratina, either of us. We thought the deck was a little bit too inconsistent uh, to really thrive. Uh, certainly a, a powerful high ceiling deck but maybe lacked some of the, the tools that others' decks could execute on a little more reliably to succeed. JW, how do you think Giratina is looking coming out of Peoria? I think it's looking extremely solid. I think that obviously you have top eight finish with John Ang. Um, and I think overall, I don't think it's like, um, you know, shown itself to be the best deck of the format but it's shown itself to be very strong certainly i mean you have um a nice little combination that the straight one prize loss box doesn't have and that's a very real threat of one shot potential with the giratina and the v-star uh v-star attack so i think that you look at giratina as being just a very solid deck um certainly is kind of like the proof of concept was there to say, yes, Giratina can work, Giratina can place well, Giratina is consistent enough to go make a deep tournament run. And I think as we see, if we see, um, you know, more of these VMAX decks, Mew, Kyurem, especially, I think that only plays into Giratina's favor. Yeah, I think, I think there's some really strong positives to Giratina, and I do think I underestimated how effective the deck could be at just getting the Giratina out and powered up. Um, so I, th I think there is a place for Giratina in the meta. I think one other thing I underestimated was the power of the Snorlax, mm. uh, cause the Snorlax is also pretty decent into the Lost Box matchup, right? Cause it, yeah. you can't really KO it very effectively. So I actually, I like the Giratina deck coming out of Peoria more than I did going into it. Yes. Um, so definitely a little bit underestimated on, on how effective the deck was. I still think in terms of placement, it seems about right on that top five list, but I, five. I think it is yeah. I think it is a very solid contender going into Salt Lake City. Completely agree. It would be a deck if I were going to Salt Lake City that I try to run some games with. Um, just the whole Lost Zone engine. Um, we had I think moved away from the Lost Zone engine as being just yeah. maybe a, a turn or two too slow, but certainly this tournament, you know, perception has changed at least. From my end, I would saying, agree. I think that the Lost Zone decks can actually work and can be viable and can win the whole tournament. So, uh, yeah, Giratina, I would say, though, appropriately placed. I don't think it's actually the best Lost Zone deck, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Number four, we're clocking in Hurem. 
Kurum is just that beat stick sort of deck. You power up gigantic Kurum VMAX, which very few decks can actually one-shot. Uh, very Honestly, very similar to Mew in concept, where you have a, a big attacker that can take one-shots that's hard to deal with in return. Kurum uh, trades maybe some of the raw consistency of Genesect for more firepower, I would say, and more sustained firepower over the course mm-hmm. of a game. I think Kurum kind of just fits that bill, right? The, the bill of the giant beat stick deck. Uh, but it is somewhat vulnerable to Path to the Peak, kind of taking collateral damage, uh, just like Mew did from the Path to the Peak's rise to prominence here. Yeah. Jeb, what are some of your thoughts on Kurum? Well, Path of the Peak is an issue for it, as that's how I won couple of my games against the Kyurem deck. Uh, but I also think the hand disruption is really, really bad for the deck. I mean, you think about what you need to do as a Kyurem player. Um, one of the biggest things uh, besides the late game is the early game. So if you just like don't get enough of your Pokemon out. <laughs> that was know, a crazy really sentence. A... <laughs> I know. I said it as soon as I said it, I was like Yeah, if I had to if I had to yeah, rank yeah. the importance of things, I would have to say, you know, the early yeah, game, yeah, the really, mid game, and then the late game. game. <laughs> yeah, the early game's really important, but don't forget about the mid or late game. Um jeez. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's um, epic. Okay, all right, all right. So late game hand disruption is really bad for the deck. Roxanne uh, proved very good in the times that I played the Kyurem deck. And if you just think about all the pieces that they need in that late game, they probably already used their Palkia V-Star attack. And so to get energies attached to their V-Maxes, they'll need to do it from hand by attaching an energy, getting um, you know an energy on the top of the deck to Orangaroo to use the ability on Kyurem. And then not even to mention getting the Melanie, right? So there's a lot of moving pieces. If they can get all the energy attached, enough energy in the in that early game, then, you know, they maybe have enough steam to carry on to the late game. But I just found that a lot of times if you disrupted the hand at the right time, particularly with Roxanne, I think Marnie, obviously, more cards, so a little bit easier to get out of. But particularly with Roxanne, it's often very hard for them to find the piece that they need in the late game to take those knockouts. I will also say a reason why I don't love the Kiram deck is because you have you're more susceptible than a lot of these other decks to having average to poor turn ones where it's a deck where you know you're you're looking for battle vip pass um and if you don't hit that or if you don't hit enough quick balls or ultra balls or whatever kind of ball search you're playing you are just going to struggle because you'll only have one attacker or you'll only have, you know, one Palky on the bench. And if your opponent can gust that up, then you lose the ability to use your V-Star for the entire game. So it's, it's very susceptible to those mid to poor starts. I think that's, for me, a reason that I wouldn't take Kyurem to a tournament. Yeah, I kind of agree. I'm pretty soft on actually taking Kyurem to a tournament myself. Um it just feels like if I'm trying to get the matchup spread I want, that Kurum is just not the deck to do that right now. Yeah. Personally. That said, Kurum was the most popular deck in Peoria. So and it I'll had two curious. top four finishes, right? And it's like, yeah, it performed, certainly. Um, but yeah, it, it was kind of weird, right? From from our perspective, we thought Kurum was a solid deck. We put it at our number four uh, position. But clearly, the vast majority of players, 173 out of 1,000, so a solid, you know, 17% thought that Kyurem 
you know, was their play. It was, was the best deck. So um, clearly we're kind of out of sync on that particular deck with how the meta shaped up and what we think of it. But I don't know. Why do you think that there was that disconnect? I think Hiram had a lot of the things that is attractive to um, particularly players who maybe aren't as, I don't know, metagame savvy is the right word, but, you know, who are looking to enter a tournament and looking for something that's straightforward and gets them the outcomes that they're looking for. Um, you know, Kurim, Kurim is a fairly reliable deck, and it's a deck that I think can deceptively test very well, especially if you're playing against folks who maybe haven't don't have answers to it or don't play as heavy of hand disruption, things like that, to, like, unveil some of its weaknesses. Because um, when it does get going, it's incredibly good and very convincing, right? So... Mm -hmm. Um, you really blow decks out of the water when you're winning with Kiram. So I think it's it's one of those situations where the deck itself um, we spoke a little strongly to some some groups of people and and they ended up rolling with it. I also think it's appealing strategy, right? The 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 a lot of energy, a lot of damage strategy is something that we see players gravitate to time and time again. Mm -hmm. um, so it doesn't necessarily surprise me that Kiram is a popular deck. Certainly, and it's. In a lot of ways, it's reminiscent of Palkia decks, but without the complexity. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously yeah. you have the Palkia element to it, but uh, you know, you're just throwing up one big attacker and trying to just take all those knockouts. So yeah, I, I would say that's a pretty fair assessment. I'm also curious. We might not have the numbers on this handy, but I'm curious what the percentage turnover of Kurem was relative to other decks. Like, did we see? 20% of the day two field also be Kyurem, or did it kind of like falter off in day one a little bit harder? Right. Because right. It, sure, there were two Kyurems in top eight, but also it was 20% of the field. Um, so that's like proportional numbers there, basically. So was it just like performing average throughout the whole tournament and it just got, you know, its exact average in the end game, or did it perform better or worse than that? Mm hmm. Well, food for thought here. Next up on our list, and we're not we're not going to belabor this one too much. It was Muvi Max. I think Muvi Max ended up being a pretty solid choice heading into Peoria, uh, both because decks that maybe decks that could have benefited the most from Drapion, it felt like weren't really playing it because they felt like the matchup versus Mew was close already. So why bother? Type of situation. Um, and then the decks that weren't benefiting from Drapion were playing it, right? Because they felt desperate to make the Mew matchup better is was kind of my interpretation. Mm -hmm. um, plus the the path to the peak was very not Vogue. So I think that was all fair logic to get Mew up at number three place. I do think Mew will have to be a lot more thoughtful about how it deals with Lost Box in particular as we look ahead to future stages of this metagame. Yeah, completely agree. Again, path to the peak, um, you know, that build from Tord, probably a nightmare for Mew. I haven't tested that in depth, but, you know, again, just my experience with Path with our current list was not very good. Uh, let's just say that. So um, would expect that to gain in popularity. It was really interesting um, looking at the, the Mews that did make day two. Um, you know, we had four out of the top five performing Mewless in day two. So I do think that there's something to be said for, you know, us having the best Mew list in the room. 
Uh, because certainly a lot of other players were on that same thinking as we were, right? Just thinking, yeah. like, okay, I want a really good turn one deck. I want a really um, strong deck that can take advantage of opponent's slow starts. I want the consistency that Mew provides. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say that, that our list had a little bit of, uh, you know, the right text for the metagame. And so we'll have to see how that metagame evolves over time here to really be able to... Um, tech out the Mew list in a way that accounts for the meta as it shifts. So speaking of the meta shifting, let's talk about Lost Zone Box. Last week, when we were talking about Lost Zone Box at number two, we agreed it was a strong deck and a top contender in Peoria. But we also had a little bit of discussion. Was, was it just Vogue because it was the new hit one prize deck? You know, what is yeah. the staying power of Lost Box in the metagame? And I think Tord has definitively said... That Lost Box is a top contender for real in this metagame and very worthy of a top spot. But it's so interesting, right? I thought for sure that Lost Box would be among, if not the most played deck. And yeah. It, and it was number five in terms of total amount of play. And I, I mean, I was shocked by that, honestly. I, I really was. I thought like... Um, you know, because I had done some for testing sure. with the deck. Yeah. I felt like it was very strong. I felt like it might be a nice choice for, um, you know, again, these kind of newer players or inexperienced players or even players just looking to have some fun. Like, why not play a one prize deck? Um, but that really wasn't the case. And if we look at the finishes as well for Lost Box, they're pretty meager. Obviously, toward winning the event with his version of the list, which was totally different from what we had seen up to that point. I think a lot of other decks had focused more on Pokestop and had focused more on Echoing yeah. Horn. Um, and his list was very much, uh, you know, I the good card in the list is Path, and I'm going to try to uh, stick that on the turns that I need to, uh, as well as get maybe a little bit more consistency in terms of loss zoning Pokemon with a higher count of loss vacuum. But um, so his version of the list one, and then we have, you know, coming down to the next highest placing lost box list is Isaiah Bradner at 20th. And then the next highest lost box list was um, I think 50th place or something, uh, 40, 53rd place, Cody Smith. So it really had some very meager, very modest results in day two of Peoria Regionals. Yeah, and I will say I definitely expected Lost Box to be more popular, um, but I'm not surprised that it had kind of polarizing results, I guess, let's say, because it is a pretty challenging deck to actually execute on especially in the constraints of a pokemon tournament right mm -hmm. where you only yep. have 50 yep. minutes to complete three games yep. and especially with a deck like lost box where you know it's fairly easy to get like lost in the sauce like where are you putting these 12 damage counters you know if, do i put one here or one here you know it gets really tough to make those decisions quickly and accurately over the course of an entire tournament. Tord Reklev, of course, one of the players who could reliably do something like that. But I think the average Joe, the layman who picks up Lost Box, would have struggled to do that effectively. Well, I think if you want a masterclass in time usage, you should go look at Tord's matchup against John Ang in top eight and go rewatch that and get down to the end of the game. And the way Tord you know, intentionally or not, I, I would tend to think intentionally uh, just because of his skill, but the way that he plays the clock so that, you know, John has no time left to 
even if he pulled off some, uh, you know, comeback, would have no time left to take the knockouts necessary to win the game. I mean, it just was incredible. So the way that Tord, you know, manipulates the time, like does, um, you know, makes the plays, and, and that's not to say like that he is stalling by any means, but he's just, you know, using the time allotted to him in a way that is most advantageous to winning the game. So I think he's just great. Watch those matches, uh, his finals match as well. Um, really solid clock usage by by him. And I think you're right, where you look at this deck and if players lose a game with this kind of deck, there's no real pop-off in a 50-minute round that you can make to win, like, two back-to-back, right? You're, you're definitely... You know, kind of your minimum for a deck like this is like 15 minutes, I would say, to finish a game, to place all your damage counters, to do your attacks, to get enough Pokemon in the Lost Zone, whatever it is. So, you know, yeah, you got to be playing fast. You got to be smart. um, Or you just have to win a long game one. Yeah, absolutely. I I really think as we get deeper and deeper into metagames that have more single prize decks and evolutions and things like that, we... You know, if you want to grow as a player, you should be more and more thoughtful about time usage in the course of a tournament. That's something JW and I had the luxury of kind of not having to think about as much with the Mew deck. Um, it was the fastest deck that I had played in a while. and It might have been I, the fastest deck I've ever played. Yeah, it's probably true. Yeah, I mean, I was <laughs> routinely finishing with like 15 minutes left. And that, for me, that never happens. I was <laughs> among the first players to be done with many of my rounds, which, again, if you have if you know me, if you're in my, my testing group or my close circle <laughs> yeah, of friends, you slow. know that I, I generally am a slower player, right? Because I'm a little bit more methodical. I think about things a little bit longer. Old AF. Yeah, and I'm old, so... <laughs> Crusty. Yeah, you know, there's something to be said. that I think that's another episode topic about, you know, deck choices, like choosing decks that are fast is i think for us was an advantage this weekend but yeah that felt i felt really fresh going into every round because of how much time i had to chill between <laughs> <laughs> awesome so lost awesome box premier threat in the metagame for sure but you do have to be thoughtful when you're picking it up as your choice for a tournament because of time because of how difficult it can be to play yeah, and at number one and i think this still is a solid number one pick Palkia and Talion. Palkia took multiple top eight spots. Andrew Hedrick also having the best point total before top eight in the tournament. I mean, the deck was monstrous. I played it six times over the course of my my run. And even in the games that I won, it was a scary deck. It's just so powerful. You can pop off early, get those gust plays, or you can go for gigantic knockouts over the course of a game. So... I think solidly Palkia just has that number one spot still, especially with the continued downfall of direct Palkia counters. Um, You know, you have matchups that maybe aren't explicitly favored for Palkia, but you lose the matchups that were really tough for it. Uh, You know, think particularly the flying Pikachu has kind of solidified itself as being outside of the core metagame at this point, Mm -hmm. which Palkia loves to see. Yeah, 100%. We were talking about this last week where we said Palky is a great choice because you're not seeing as many counters. You're not seeing many lightning attackers. Outside of outside of Regigigas, though, I will say Regigigas did show up in force, yes. but there are some, some issues with that deck, certainly. <laughs> um, but you're not seeing the main counters 
that we have seen in the past to, to Palkia. It's probably the, the least countered deck. I think Avery's on the decline. Uh, generally, Path of the Peak is on the decline. Uh, you know, generally, Lightning Attackers are on the decline. So all these things kind of work in Palkia's favor. Absolutely no surprise from either of us to see three of them in top eight. Yeah, I mean, what is there to say? Palkia is a beast of a deck. We've talked about it for months now, about how it's a beast of a deck. So if you're surprised to see Palkia and you listen to this podcast, are you paying attention? (laughs) 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 Because it shouldn't come as a surprise how good it is. Dude, I was having dreams the night before. I was like, should I switch off Mew to play Palkia? I was like, that was, you know how I get before tournaments where I'm like second guessing everything. And I was like lying awake and I'm like, do I make the switch? Do I go against the, <laughs> the grain and play Paul Kio and everyone's playing Mew? I think, you know, I don't know, hindsight, maybe arguably Paul Kio is a better choice, but, you know, we played so solidly with Mew, I, I don't regret the choice at all. I also do think this is more like general game philosophy. I do think there's some something to be said about just running with the group's decision. You know, mm. if the, if you believe in your testing group and they make a decision you know try and run with it right and like if you collectively if you made the right decision as a group then it'll work out for somebody you know yeah i think there's something to that there's a mental aspect to it right uh you know a camaraderie aspect yeah even outside the camaraderie though like if you believe in the group think being greater than your own individual think right yeah i I mean obviously you have to trust who you're you're trusting with that group think of course yeah otherwise it'd be playing kira (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah exactly he's spitting he's spitting (laughs) awesome well pure was a really interesting tournament i gotta say i i was not fully prepared for the way it would pan out i think we got some of the high level stuff like right on the nose but the nuance of how each of these decks would look uh, definitely yeah. was beyond our predictive capability. And we'll talk a little bit more about this next week, but you have newcomers, you know, Regigiga showed up in force. You had things like <laughs> Zorark, which was, you know, kind completely of completely off of our nowhere. radar. <laughs> yeah, completely off. We were not even remotely thinking about Zorark at all. And then Arceus Gudra, anyone? I mean, these are some decks that we just completely wrote off, but had very solid finishes. And so we'll talk a little bit more about those next week in our preview for salt lake city awesome well thank you all so much for listening to this peoria recap we are just loving the new season of pokemon being back in action we're so excited to qualify for yokohama and if you all want to get in on that action be sure to follow us on social media best place to do so is twitter.com where you can find the podcast at tag team pokemon you can find myself at Smiles with Riles and JW at Real John Walter. And if you head over to JW's website, flexdaddy.cards/shop, you can pick up the sick tag team merch that JW and I were repping this weekend. It is so comfy and looks so fly. You don't want to be caught without it if you're a fan of the cast. Yeah, absolutely, Riley. You gotta upload some pictures i don't know that i saw any but uh yeah head on over flexdaddy.card slash shop get your own long sleeve tea as we move into these cold wintry months but that's going to do it here from the boys at tag team thank you guys all so much for listening we will catch you next time peace